This week in retail news, Dollar General unveiled a new house and homeware retail concept. Meanwhile, Walmart wants to fix your phones at its recently launched tech services pilot. And this just in, Aldi is testing out a new bigger box format. We've got the scoop and more on today's episode. It's Monday, October 19th, and this is your retail rundown. Today, we're joined by guests Ronald Thurston and Sean Harris. Ron is the vice president of stores at Intermix and the author of a very recently published book, Retail Pride. Sean is the director of North American Sales at Zebra, where he leads go-to-market activities for their intelligent retail automation solution, and he's a respected industry commentator and Forbes Technology Council member. Ron, Sean, it's great to have you both on the show. Great to be here. Thank you so much, Julia. And Ron, congratulations on launching your book last week. It's very exciting. Thanks so much. It's been a great success. I'm very proud. Excellent. Well, the first topic we will go over is Walmart's news. The big box retailer is making moves to become even more of a one-stop shop after launching its own tech services pilot. Walmart is testing a tech deck service similar to Best Buy's Geek Squad, and they're rolling it out in five U.S. stores in Arkansas and Texas. The service will be staffed by True Network Solutions and will offer customers in-home installation and setup of televisions, smart home products, personal computers, tablets, and Wi-Fi and 24-7 tech support plan. Walmart says it plans to expand the pilot to 50 U.S. stores by mid-2021, so pretty soon here. Sean, last year, if we look at Best Buy, their Geek Squad services totaled nearly $2 billion. Do you think that there's room for Walmart in this space? I think it's a huge opportunity. You know, given the times that we're in, retailers can look to either put up the guards and defend themselves. They can look to differentiate or they can disrupt. I think that this move is leveraging the existing volume that they have flowing through their stores. They are selling a great deal in the electronic space. We know that uh, more and more people are leveraging in-home IoT-based technologies, whatever that may be, from Nest to smart TVs to smart speakers and the like. And it's not uh, always a trivial exercise to get these things to work together in a way that actually makes sense (laughs) to a lot of um, buyers. I think it's a smart move. It's a smart differentiating move. As I understand it, they're going to be coming at it from the standpoint of, you know, your your margin is my opportunity, right? So they're looking at attacking it through price. I think that that's a smart move. For what it's worth, I can see a lot of people taking advantage of this service. I think it's brilliant. Excellent. Ron, do you want to hop in on this as well? I would. Uh, I certainly agree with Sean. I think when you think about how we are living our lives today, working from home, the kids, you know, are home, all of this has become just that much more escalated. This need for smart home, things that work, things that are easy, and this idea of kind of test and learn from Walmart and going third party and hiring this kind of true network solutions and kind of build this infrastructure of test and learn. And can it work? Does it scale? And from what I've read, it looks like they were going to significantly kind of undercut Best Buy in price for some of this as well. So it's a huge win when you just think about the need for this ongoing technology in the industry. Yeah, I think what's going to be important, you know, as Best Buy is known for electronics and, you know, Walmart being more mass, right, they do effectively sell everything, right, and and going down that path. 
I think it's going to be important for them to really make sure that folks know who is delivering this, that it is this true north, I believe, again, yeah, their name is technology services firm, that these folks like a little bit about their background, there's going to need to be an element of do we trust Walmart to do this and effectively making sure that you're bridging and getting to that point of trust by consumers to help you with these things by making sure they're clear on that Walmart acquired or partnered with a company that is, this is their bread and butter and this is what they do. And now it's going to be convenient because it's right here at your local Walmart. Agreed. Mm -hmm. I think there's also a level of just loyalty built into this. So when you think about buying technology, where you purchase it and then where it's serviced, then it's installed. Like every touch point builds loyalty for Walmart. And so I think that's an important component here that's already built into their model that can continue to support this. Do you think Geek Squad should be worried? I mean, their services revenue accounted for 5% of total revenue last year for Geek Squad. That's a significant amount. And it seems like they can't get a break. I mean, they went through a lot during the pandemic. They're finally really back in gear and everyone is kind of flocking to Best Buy once again. Should they be worried? What should they be doing? I mean, I, I would say, yeah, Best Buy and also, uh, you know, Staples has an offering like this as well, right? So I would say that uh, there should be some concern. It necessarily is one of those things that won't just happen, but it'll happen <laughs> if they if they just let it. And so um, being thoughtful about how they begin to differentiate what their services are that they kind of put out there, again, continue to drive home the fact that they are experts at electronics. It is everything who they are. This is going to be a, a, a another loyalty play. But Walmart's talking about cutting prices by up, you know, 50% or more. That becomes tough because I don't think, you know, there's not going to be a per se by many, uh, if you will, a stigma to like going to get tech services from a trusted company through Walmart. If it's 50% less, it's 50% less. You know, mm -hmm. I think they should be concerned and thinking about how they kind of put up their uh, their offense and defense. Totally agree. And I think the in-home piece is really interesting because on the luxury side, you know, it seems like Enjoy is the only one that has been really trying to scale about doing in-home, which seems to err on the side of more of a luxury customer than a Walmart customer. But if I can have a similar like in-home experience with really skilled people doing in-home setup, that I think is something that's completely untapped. Yeah, great. You both made great points, Sean. You said Walmart's leveraging their existing volume, which is great, and this is a great deal. Ron, you said they're significantly undercutting Best Buy on price, and you both agreed that this is something maybe Best Buy should look out for moving forward. Um, and then just interesting bit of news I saw recently, Walmart actually is helping people 65 and older with signing up for Medicare plans during this season's enrollment period. So they're doing a lot of moves. And when I was reading that, I also came across a comment on LinkedIn, and this I thought was really interesting because it's history repeating itself in a sense. Here's some trivia. Sears actually formed the Allstate company, Allstate Insurance Company in 1931. Yeah, what has Sears not done? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, in a good way in that, like they just in so many ways were just ahead of themselves and... Uh, it's kind of a shame how things have effectively turned out for them because they were just so ahead of the curve. I guess I would say with respect to Walmart, they're undoubtedly going to, like Amazon, want to be the everything store, right? And so if it can be consumed, uh, whether that be apples or it be car insurance, 
I think that we're going to find companies like Walmart at their scale looking to kind of differentiate themselves out into those places. They Again, they have the volume, they have the customer base. Um, they just need to make sure that they can get folks to trust that they can deliver quality service. Good comments, guys. We'll move on to the next segment. This is about something called Pop Shelf. But first, I wanted to tell our listeners a little bit more about Vtex. Vtex is the first and only global, fully integrated end-to-end commerce solution with native marketplace and OMS capabilities. Vtex helps companies in retail, manufacturing, wholesale, groceries, consumer packaged goods, and other verticals to sell more, operate more efficiently scale seamlessly and deliver remarkable customer experience. Find out more about what VTEX can do for your business at www.vtex.com. The second retailer we're covering is the Dollar General. In case you haven't heard, the discounter is launching its new retail concept. It's aimed at suburban women. And coming this fall, Dollar General's Pop Shelf will focus on non-consumable, seasonal, and home decor, as well as beauty, party supplies, and household products. Dollar General says that 95% of the items in their pop shelf will be priced at $5 or less, and its target customer will have a total household annual income ranging from fifty dollars to $125,000 USD. Pop Shelf will debut its first two locations near Nashville, Tennessee, and plans to open 30 locations in various markets by the end of fiscal year 2021. Ron, I'll pass this to you first. What are your initial thoughts on their pop shelf concept at Dollar General? So I'm not going to be as positive about this as I was on the last. And I'll tell you why. When I look at this business model and I've seen the kind of videos of the inside of the store, it's really, this is what got us into trouble in the first place, is these stores of just more stuff that you can find in other places that there's not a particular experience related to it. You know, it's not experiential. You're not learning anything. It's just more stuff for less price. And my point of view is we don't need more of this. We need less of this. And we don't need this idea of just filling more retail real estate. It looks like they've taken over some maybe other closed businesses, which is great um, and certainly appreciated. But I think the idea of how do you create something that's not just about filling it with things that I could likely find at Target, on Amazon, at Walmart, Uh, and create something that is more meaningful, I think, to the customer base. Um, Mm -hmm. So I'm I'm concerned about this one. Mm -hmm. Sean? Yeah, I kind of, I think I see it differently. I think that from what I could gather, you know, they've one, done some pretty rigorous analysis on kind of the marketplace and will this work? Is there the adjacent customer base to their existing Dollar General that they can put this new offering in front of and it'll work. I recall the CEO saying, boy, it might've been a couple of years ago at this point, but I remember him saying at one point, something along the lines of the economy just keeps producing more of my target customers. Mm-hmm. And I think that is still true, right? Especially given what's taking place this year with the impact from the pandemic. But also, you know, there's talk about this idea of this, uh, kind of K-shaped recovery, I think the economy is going to continue to produce more customers who would lean this way. I think that also there's a degree of uncertainty that will continue to loom over the economy until there's a widespread uh, application of a vaccine, which 
again, I think makes it such that this higher band of income earners will look to ways to um, save some money. And like I was referring to uh, on the Walmart side concerning this feeling like, oh, I don't know if I want to go to Walmart, you know, I'll go to a Target, that this is a little bit like, I don't know if I want to go to Dollar General, but I'll go to Pop Shop. I think that you start pulling people there so they can go and get their last minute gift bags and last minute cards and things that I call them as volatile in nature, whether it be because they're seasonal or will be consumed. I think it could work. I, I, I again, yeah, maybe I'm being naive, but I think there, <laughs> I, I think there's an opportunity to leverage the economic circumstances and also from a business cost perspective. And Ron, you just mentioned this, like the real estate, right? I mean, real estate's been decimated. So they're probably getting insane deals on the buildings. And that absolutely factors in to the model, I would imagine as well. And Ron, you made a good point. You said a little bit differently than Sean. You said, this is what got us into trouble in the first place, more stuff for less price. And Sean, you countered and said, well, you know, their target market might be interested in this. And it seems like with how the economy is going and the fact that you can go there for gift bags and last minute things, cards. I know I shop at the Dollar General for birthday cards and stuff, but I will say I watched the promotional video And when I saw the store, I was like, I'll believe it when I see it. Because it looked crazy. It looked like CVS married Michaels. Yeah, yeah, or five below. Or five below. Or five below. Absolutely. And there was um, even in one segment of the video, there was a guy testing out these $5 headphones in store, like just jamming out. And uh, I was like, well, maybe. Yeah. And I would just say from a visual merchandising perspective... You know, you it will never look like that, right? And That's so right. Yeah. They had a whole team of people set up those couple of prototype stores, and yeah, I've I've seen the news about them, but the reality is it won't ever look like that. And no. so you'll just keep restocking the shelves and filling more more product in there, and then it just becomes just this big mess again. This is retail developed its reputation based on for kind of being overexposed and overdeveloped and oversaturated based on business models like this. I would encourage them to try to keep that more on websites if possible. The other thing I would just add is, and there's so much conversation around sustainability and the kind of use of single-use plastic. Stores like this are just full of more things that end up in landfills. Or, you know, as a member of, on the board of Goodwill, we see a lot of these things donated. I don't know that they serve their intended purpose always. And it, I'll be very curious to see how big it can actually get. I did see them like, and I, I don't know the, the all the functionality or what have you, but there was like a part in the video that showed someone flicking on a mobile phone as mm-hmm. if it was going to be an e-commerce component to it mm-hmm. potentially, or maybe even just at, at a minimum, uh, you would imagine curbside or Vopus, mm-hmm. right? Uh, that could be a part of it. So it'd be interesting to see how that plays into it as well. Because again, that too helps expand who the customer, right? Expand the access, if you will, to this uh, new store format. All right, let's break for a little bit of good news. Starbucks announced last week that it's starting a leadership mentorship program within its cafes. The program is part of its commitment to inclusion and diversity, and Starbucks has pledged to increase minority representation in its corporate workforce to 30% by 2025. 
Our vegetarians and vegan listeners out there will be happy to hear that Kroger is expanding its Simple Truth plant-based brand with more than 50 new items, including plant-based chicken and dairy-free yogurts and cheeses. IKEA plans to roll out a used furniture buyback program next month. The program will launch in 27 countries, including Canada, and comes as part of the retailer's initiative to become fully circular and climate positive by 2030. The next retailer we'll talk about is one of my favorites. It's Aldi. The grocery disruptor is preparing to unveil its latest store format. The German-owned grocery chain announced it will be opening a full-size grocery store in Philadelphia next month, and the new Aldi will feature a fresh food section that's 40% larger than their traditional mid-sized stores. The store will be housed in a mixed-use development, taking up the ground floors of a 14-story tower containing almost 500 apartments and a preschool. Sean, I'll pass this to you. What are your thoughts on Aldi's plan to expand the size of its store? Yeah, so uh, I, I kind of looked at the rendering. I kind of did a quick scan to see if there, you know, how close was the nearest Aldi. I think it's like 1.6 miles and I think there's another one at three miles. Given what miles are like in a city <laughs> versus in the, in the woods where I live here, I can see certainly the need for another Aldi's in that location first. Right, even if a standard one. Second, I think the size is interesting in that it becomes one certainly an attraction of sorts, but also will serve the people who live in the uh, apartment units above it. I, I, I've seen a similar situation, if you will. So Hyvee actually owns in downtown Des Moines a, a building. The first floor is their grocery store. It was also a restaurant that they had there. I think it's now, I think they now closed that concept due to the pandemic. And above it was just an immense number of apartments. And it was serving that store very well. It's funny because like when you see this kind of construct where you have known people who live in the building, right? They're all going to be known. You have this unit, you have the first floor, which becomes, which is a store that starts your mind starts running with, wow, what if that store could become their theoretical pantry, right? And you can construct something where people who live in the unit, no matter the time of day, leveraging, you know, a widely available at this point technology, go down there, grab something and go as long as they stay within the building and it's always open to them. There could be something interesting that happens there in that regard as well. I, I think it, again, not to disagree with everything retailers do here, but I think this one can make a lot of sense as well in this case. Mm-hmm. Ron, what's your take on Aldi's expansion of the fresh foods? So I, I had to do a little bit of research about the brand because I live in Manhattan and there's no Aldi here. So oh, I needed bummer. to learn a little bit about it. The closest <laughs> thing we have is it seems to be Trader Joe's. Mm-hmm. But this is so interesting because the first thing I thought of is it's kind of like Blink versus Equinox. You know, here in the city, it's like you've got these beautiful whole foods markets and other kind of luxury west side markets you know grocery stores which were kind of in my head equinox and you've got blink right next door no frills no towels no classes no trainers no showers you kind of work and i'm actually a member of blink because i actually like the no frills and i like the idea of we work together as a community taking care of our space because Mm -hmm. all the there's no one putting your cart away there's no one bagging your groceries I read that they don't have phones in the store because they don't want their team answering the phone. They yeah. keep it very simple. Right. And yeah. So I think that that's a very fascinating like business model, but this kind of idea of warehouse shopping, 
but in small scale urban markets, like in an apartment mixed use building like this, actually things makes a lot of sense. It could be highly popular. And the price piece of it, if you think you really want to save on either bulk purchase or basic items, if you can get the best price on basic items, that appeals to a very wide audience, even if it's no frills, you know, like a blank. I think it's really smart. Good points on no frills. And um, I'll just mention that Aldi did announce plans in 2017 to become the third largest grocer in the U.S. And they've made a ton of investments. Yeah, and they're moving. Certainly there's ups and downs, but they seem to be on plan to be driving that store growth that they're looking for. They might not have the most selection of items, but the renovations they've done, it looks very upscale. It's almost a Whole Foods kind of vibe when you go in. And I would say that Aldi is going to do very well. They also, this might vary by where you live, but I use Instacart and I've noticed with our local grocer, they have a a red text that says, by the way, we charge a slight increased fee on certain products, but they don't tell you which ones. And for Aldi, there's no additional fee. So I do believe that in some cases they are eating some cost on grocery delivery as a way to get more people in store. I do, though, wonder in more of these kind of metro areas, you know, the fact that the majority of Aldi's product is private label. Yeah. You know, is there an appeal for a customer that also maybe shops in Whole Foods, Trader Joe's, maybe shops for grocery at Target, and then has Aldi and you don't really recognize any of the product? I do wonder how that will translate you know, mm-hmm. across customer base. With respect to like their limited assortment, that certainly is uh, part of their, you know, reducing their cost structure, right? So if you can have, you know, reduced SKUs, you can then enables you to be more streamlined from a supply chain uh, management perspective. I think that in this particular case with this unit being, again, centrally located, that it could be one of those cases where, yeah, they may not have everything from a, an offering perspective, but do they have enough and do they also then lend itself to substitutions, right? Where customers are going to be like, yeah, I don't want the friction of having to go one foot outside of where I live, or this is already near me. I'm not going to go through the friction of the additional walk or time. I'm just going to buy the substitute at Aldi's. And at that point, if they like it, they're done, right? That's where they're going to probably do it by going forward. And the pricing messaging around Whole Foods, as we've read, has not always been well received. Right. And so there is a, I believe, a demand for that price. Like there's definitely a customer looking for that value pricing basic items that you don't walk out the door every time having spent $100. Right. To your point earlier, Sean, like the idea of the economy has created more of a demand for best possible pricing. And this really plays into it when you go into these inner markets. Well, Ron Thurston and Sean Harris, it was amazing to have you both on the show today. And I hope that you will join me again in the future. Thank you, Julia. Thank you, Julia. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to the Rethink Retail podcast. If you would like to be considered as a guest on our show, apply at rethink.industries slash podcast guest. For sponsorship opportunities, send us an email at media at rethink.industries. You can help support our team at Rethink Retail by dropping us a rating and review on your iTunes podcast app. To each and every one of you, thanks so much for tuning in. Retail never sleeps. See you next week.